There's no business like show business. There's no business I know. Alan Freed here. The station is WINS. Hi, Alan. I'm Barbara Shore, and I'm 15 years old. And I'd like to dedicate this to Linda and Pete and Scott and Stanley and Carol and Chuck and all the other kids down at the drive-in. Can any music which honestly expresses young exuberance... Yes, and young tenderness, too. Can this have anything to do with juvenile delinquency? This is Rich Buckland coming at you. We're the Splendid Bohemians with my partner, Bill Mesnick, in California. I'm in Florida. And yes, this is another episode of Put on a Stack of 45s, where we present a 45 RPM recording of Note. You should remember it if you've been uh, conscious within the last uh, 40 years or so. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about it, give you a couple of revelations, talk about the artist, and uh, we're going to make a party out of this one. We're going to make a party. In fact, let's take it outside to my garden. You want to do that? Yeah, the garden party. Yeah, the great Rick Nelson and the Stone Canyon Band from 1972 on the DECA label made it to number six on the top 40. B-side was So Long Mama. So Long Mama. But you, you talk about there's no business like show business. Rick Nelson is a, a show business phenomenon. Well, Ricky... From a family of show business phenomena. Um, and, uh, yeah, and uh, there's... This is a, a twisty, windy, incredible, multi-layered story. So I'll let you so let's, sort of kick let's it off. So let's do this. Let's do this like a movie where we open it in the present day and let's make the present day 1971. Yes. That's one of Richard Nader's. October the 17th. October the 15th. 1971. The Richard Nader's the Rock and Roll Revival at Madison Square Garden. October 15th. And I am 17th, but well, I'll, I'll take your word for it. What's a, you know, what's a couple of days between What's fronts? a couple of days? And now, let me state emphatically that these programs were favorites of mine as they brought back artists that... In many cases, you didn't have the opportunity to see when they were in their prime in the 50s. Were you present at that show? I was present at that show. And there are rumors that I can state emphatically as being untrue. The reason he walked off were sounds that were being emanated. I do not believe that they were going boo, boo. There were sounds coming, and some of it was coming from... uh, it said from the back that there was some kind of technical issue. Police, no, the, the police were uh, having an issue with some um, paying customers, and some of the fans didn't like it, and they were going boo boo. Rick took it quite personally. Uh, the show included Chuck Berry, Bo Diddley, Bobby Rydell, and uh, here he comes, Rick Nelson with hair down to his shoulders. And he starts off with Hello, Mary Lou. Hello, Mary Lou. Goodbye, heart, sweet 
So he was definitely Elvis influenced. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And he was a part of a group called the Four Preps at Hamilton High School. So, so, Ozzy Nelson was no schmuck. His kids got a deal with Verve Records in 1957. He's not happy with it, disputes of royalties and all kinds of nonsense. But they move him brilliantly to Imperial Records. Imperial Records in 57, where Bebop Baby generates 750,000 advance orders and sells over 1 million copies, reaching number three on the charts. A Bebop Baby, a Bebop Baby, a Bebop Baby, she's a gal for me. She got plenty of rhythm. And then his first album. It's just called Ricky with that face. Look at that face. 
A face that any mother could love, like the Elvis face. Beautiful, beautiful kid. And um, following these successes, he's given a more prominent role in the Ozzy and Harriet series. Well, of course, of course. Now we're going to get to the part of the show that becomes so brilliant that it even took MTV years to catch up. At the end of the show, the majority of the shows, you would have Ricky performing a song at a high school dance. I'm a traveling man, made a lot of stops all over the world, and in every port I own the heart of at least one lovely girl. I'm a pretty senorita. Waiting for me down in old Mexico. And if you're ever in Alaska, stop and see my cute little Eskimo. Oh, my sweet Fraulein. Yes, I remember those very fondly. And those were, that stuff would go into the 60s, so you could hear him do Fools Rush In and some of the material selected by his father, who was a big band guy of note. And his mom, she sang Harriet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she was the, the girl singer in Ozzy's band. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and you listen to the musicians that he had with him. He's got an 18-year-old James Burton performing. Yes, James Burton, the architect of, 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 the, of the sound. Of the sound. Uh, Jimmy Kirkland on bass, Richie Frost on drums, pianist Gene Garth. Um... And their first recording as a band was called Believe What You Say. And uh, prior to that, Joe Mathis had been playing the lead guitar parts. Um, Bebop Baby stood up, waiting in school. So he's a poor little fool, lonesome town. The guy is, is just now given the... Yeah, from 57 to 62, he had 30 top 40 hits. That's pretty, that's pretty remarkable. That's pretty remarkable. With and he went into the movies. He was in Rio Bravo well, in 1959 and several other. Get to the film career. But of course, Rio Bravo, he made his bones being able to perform with Dean Martin, Walter Brennan, and John Wayne. This is Ricky Nelson, the Teenage Idol. And from... Everything that I have heard about the filming of that film, he was very well liked. There was there were never any arguments, and Walter Brennan was an old school guy. He only really liked to work with serious actors, but he took a liking to Rick, to Ricky. And, but imagine, um, just imagine for a second. I mean, I know that there's a lot to, to cover, but going back to to uh, Garden Party. It, you know, after that run of phenomenal success, you wonder why, what what drove him to want to rebrand himself um, with this love of country and, and uh, you know, when all of his contemporaries, like Chuck Berry, like Little Richard, like, you know, all those... Uh, Richard Nader uh, people that were brought out, they they knew where their bread was buttered. They played the oldies, and he didn't want to do that. 
So the answer to your question, I think, is fairly simple. He learned to play in at a very young age, clarinet, trumpet, etc. To Sun Records recordings. So he's playing. He's learning to play to the music of Jerry Lee, Elvis, Johnny Cash, Carl Perkins. So what do we take from this? They're all country-inspired, country-influenced artists. Blue Moon of Kentucky, You Win Again, Jerry Lee Lewis's version of You Win Again is probably the definitive version of Hank Williams' You Win Again. These are the records he learned from. It was always his first love. Yes, and it makes sense, you know, because, because he, in, the, in the late 60s and the early 70s, the uh, those those artists, the Laurel Canyon artists were in. in he, Ricky was one of the those people. But he's getting it made sense for him to make that transition. But he's wondering why Graham Parsons is more successful than he is when he was he he's been he's been paying his dues since 1948. He's wondering why the Burrito Brothers, why Poco, why some of the country renderings of the birds, Sweetheart of the Rodeo, he's wondering, where did I miss this boat? Yeah. And so the Stone Canyon Band becomes this new reality for him, and it uh, was his bread and butter until that um, horrible plane crash because uh, they were touring, and he was still working he was still working up until his death. Um, in 50 And I think partially that had to do also, which we didn't mention, with his divorce. You know, he, he had a shotgun marriage in 1961 to Chris Harmon, and they had four kids. And he had to tour relentlessly to, um, you know, to pay his his uh, obligations. Well, according to Rick, his first love was uh, someone he met on the set, uh, someone who was cast in Ozzie and Harriet, Marianne Gaba, who says they were too young to get into a serious relationship, but would neck for hours. Right. I think Harriet uh, put the kibosh on that. Yes. But then he falls in love the following year with a 15-year-old Lori Collins. Lori Collins, yes. that sexy part of that duo, uh, the Collins kids. The Collins kids. And she's a country singer. So, you know, this is, there's a, uh, there's a, there, there's a template here that. Yes, Chris Harmon was the, the uh, related to Mark Harmon. Right. right. And the son of the. Tom Harden. And Lori, it was Lori Collins that wrote Rick's first composition called My Gal. And she introduced him to Johnny Cash and to Tex Ritter. So she also appeared, Lori, in, in an episode of Ozzie and Harriet. So, yeah, I mean, he's, yeah, the divorce. She was a firecracker. She was a firecracker. She, she was a firecracker. She was a firecracker. She was a firecracker. <laughs> and then 1980, he meets Helen Blair, the part-time model and exotic animal trainer. <laughs> <laughs> I 
That was the woman that he was with. Uh, did she die with him in the plane crash? I believe that... I think she did. It was December 31st, 1985, as they were flying from Guntersville, Alabama, to Dallas, Texas for a concert. And he was on a Douglas DC-3 and uh, Helen Blair. Helen Blair, the, the and she did die in the crash, as did all seven passengers. Um, but the two pilots survived. Is that interesting? Yeah, the pilots survived, but the seven. There was a lawsuit over Helen's burial. Yes, there was. Um, and they filed a two million dollar lawsuit against Rick's estate. Her name was never mentioned at the at Rick's funeral. Mm-hmm. Yep, the parents wanted their daughter buried next to Nelson at Forest Lawn Cemetery, but Harriet Nelson dismissed the idea. That Harriet, Harriet, that Harriet, Harriet was like involved all the way through. She had, she had balls, right? I mean, she was yeah, obviously she was a tough cookie. She was obviously the uh, the she maybe the, she was the brains behind Ozzy. Who who knows? Well, I, you know, she wore the that's pe- a story. Ozzy seemed laid back, but you never know about these characters, particularly right. That was a, a persona, right? The one you know, Robert Young in Father Knows Best, from all accounts, remember, yeah, was remember truly Ozzy a, always had like a stutter. Yeah, yeah, and I never took him as any, there was no sense of danger. But Harriet always had this, she smiled quite often. She had an edge. She had an edge to her, yes, like she drank. And she couldn't wait for the scene to be over so she could take a nip. (laughs) Her her smiles, I recall, seemed to be forced. And I had a little bit of the uh, Roy Rogers and Dale Evans thing about it. Dale Evans, though, could, was, was genuinely pleasant. She, she was tough. She was tough, but she didn't have that horse kind of... Harriet had a horse kind of voice, right? Yes, right. Sort of like Lucy. Like Lucy, right. This raspy kind of a, of a voice. But, but um, going back to Garden Party, okay, and I, oh, so I also wanted to mention, there was a cut that I love of Rick Nelson from 1967 called Marshmallow Skies. Discovered on a Warner Brothers anniversary collection. Marshmallow. It's him singing a psychedelic song. Let's let's listen to a little bit. Kind of 
reminds me of uh, when uh, Joey Heatherton went psychedelic. I love that. <laughs> I love that cut. But, but going back to Garden Party, so, you know, it's an interesting record, as you'll hear in a moment. It's, it's gentle. The arrangement is gentle, but there's this kind of anger seething underneath. And he's referencing John and Yoko and the Chuck Berry. And I love that line. The would say say is related to Elvis. He goes, if memories are all I sing, I'd rather drive a truck. So here's what we're going to do. Let's play Garden Party. And then I'm going to give you a couple of uh, a little breakdown of what some of the references, because that was some of the talk of the time. Some of the references that uh, Ricky was making were there were were um, there was speculation as to who he was talking about. But let's yes. listen to the uh, what was what Ricky thought was a snub, and the snub became one of his biggest hits, Garden Party. I went to a garden party to reminisce with my old friends A chance to share old memories and play our songs again When I got to the garden party They all knew my name Recognize me I didn't look the same But it's Alright now I learned my lesson Well You see you can't please Everyone so you Got to please yourself People came From miles around Everyone was there Yoko Brought a walrus There was magic in the air and over in the corner much to my surprise Mr. Hughes hidden Dylan's shoes wearing his disguise but it's alright now I learned my lesson well you see you can't please everyone so you got to please yourself Play it dark. 
garden parties I wish you would lie out of luck But if memories were all I sang I'd rather drive a truck But it's all right now I learned my lesson well You see, you can't please everyone So you've got to please yourself So the thing is, that night at Madison Square Garden, there were a lot of friends present, and um, uh, he did have some support, primarily from George Harrison, who was a friend. And um, when he talks about Mr. U's hidden Dylan shoes, he's talking about George Harrison's planned but later abandoned album of Bob Dylan covers. Yes. And this was, uh, how close was this to Bangladesh? Oh, I think it was the same year. Yeah. yeah. So they, he was working with Dylan. So he was working with Dylan. Um, they also co-wrote the song on All Things Must Pass. Yoko Ono was present, hence the line, Yoko's Walrus. And uh, when he talks about his old friends, it's, of course, Chuck Berry, Bo Diddley, and Bobby Rydell, whom he knew very, very well. Didn't want to suffer what he thought was a fate worth, worse than death, but um, it certainly wasn't. And uh, as those rock and roll revival shows had proved, and you and I had attended more than a couple, um, they were not just nostalgic. It really gave you an opportunity to see what could be done years after the prominence that an artist received. And yes, we covered, we covered uh, Jerry Lee Lewis and his uh, experience at the Rock and Roll Revival. When he, he came tried out to play. With, Would you take another chance on that? And he's playing country, same way Ricky decided to, uh, Rick decided to play country. There and, was, a, there was a, a prejudice against country. Absolutely. The, and and yeah. there, there still is a prejudice against country. There, there still is. But there's the, you've got artists like Chris Stapleton that have helped take the sting off of it. You've got, um, you've got artists of well, Garth Brooks, for God's sake. Well, yeah, but we're going back years. Major I'm talking about, I'm talking about, yeah, I'm talking about of recent vintage. Okay. Um, guys like Chris Stapleton are just brilliant, just brilliant. Garth Brooks, of course, um, when I saw Garth Brooks at Madison Square Garden, I was astounded by the showmanship, by the, by the uh, personality, and by the songs. The songs are just beautiful, brilliant, and uh, the up-tempo songs are just spectacular. Friends in, I have friends in Oh, folk rock, Americana, all these things kind of blend together. But he took it all to a place that Graham Parsons and uh, Roger McGuinn never dreamt of. Um, with an ability to put on a two-hour, two-and-a-half-hour stage show in an auditorium like that and sell out 25,000-seat arenas all over the United States and abroad. 
So he, for me, Garth Brooks put it all together and still when he makes even casual appearances still has that thing about him that uh, I admire and, uh, and trust. He's a good man. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's, he's a good man. So the references you had mentioned, he's said, if memories are all I have, I'd rather drive a truck. And that, of course, is the reference to his first influence, Elvis Presley, who was a truck driver. And what if Elvis had never become Elvis? Would Elvis Presley have become a UPS driver? Who the fuck knows? But Elvis was destined to become uh, who he became, just as Rick Nelson was destined. And it's funny how these destinies turn these different corners. Yeah. Um, Elvis on a toilet seat and Ricky in a plane, from all accounts, due to some reckoning with cocaine. Um, they say mechanical difficulties, but there was, there were drugs found, and uh, it's not pretty. It's not pretty. In either case, Rick followed, it seems, his path of his uh, idol Elvis to the uh, end drug-wise as well. So uh, not the amount or the Dr. Papalopagus, uh, what was his name? Dr. Nick. Dr. <laughs> Nick. Dr. Nick was, he would have been. Did you feel good? He would have done very well in the age of Oxy. He would have, he would have. Oh, yeah. He would have made a fortune. So um, the brilliance, though, of having this television show at your beck and call to promote your son's record is really the first time ever that there was an opportunity to sell records of that nature through television other than a variety show like the Ed well, I think show. you know if you look at the overall kind of view of this this arc of Rick's life you see someone who, despite every advantage, decided to uh, give himself this major challenge to create some uh, some uh, hardship for himself. And you also have to give him credit for going on all of those years and still making a living doing what he wanted to do, not what he was told to do. Yeah, seventy one until that. Um, it's a rather heroic uh, Don Quixote esque uh, story, and it's a belief system. Um, I think that he was prone to a belief system, and he had integrity. And uh, didn't a couple of his kids wind up with a band that they called the Nelsons? Yeah, called right? Nelson. The Nel, yeah, Nelson, right. And, yeah. But they were, and two, they were two kind very of, good-looking blonde boys, Gunner oh yeah. and Matthew. Yeah, you take a look at the mommy, you take a look at daddy, and you know what you're going to get, yeah. But unfortunately, they were short-lived. Primarily, I think, because of the material. The, the, the material was kind of weak. But, um, yes, the first teen idol, Ricky Nelson. And so we have ventured into the world of the Garden Party, the Rock and Roll Revivals. And uh, if you have an opportunity, there's a great film called The London Rock and Roll Show where they bring 
uh, some of these artists to London. And it's some of the best recorded uh, filmed work that you'll see of Bo Diddley, of Chuck Berry, of Jerry Lee. Um, it's a uh, it's a fascinating document. And then there's a uh, film called Let the Good Times Roll, which is done in split screen, which has similar artists, but includes and is the only film that includes, deservedly so, Mr. Ernest Evans, a.k.a. Chubby Checker. Chubbala. Chubbala, who had a birthday recently, just turned 80 uh, years old. So, yes, yes, it all goes on. It goes on until it uh, stops going on. And we're here to let well, you know. Well handled, my friend. Well handled. It never the wheel of fortune continues to spin. But the memories of what that wheel produced for music lovers such as you and I, it'll never spin in that direction again. <laughs> Bill. <laughs> we're getting old, man. Getting old, dude. You say that every time. Getting old. Getting old. We're not like tripping in Lori Lesh's apartment and carpets making all these psychedelic things. And I want to go to the roof and jump off, but you saved me. Yes, I owe Bill Mesnick my life. Yes. And I'll save you once again. Good night, <laughs> Mrs. Caliban. Ladies and gentlemen, remember to listen to Captain Billy's Magic 8-Ball where Bill delves into his 8-track collection and pulls out a 8-track of note. This week we're going to have, we right, up right now is Arthur Lee in Love, but this weekend you can anticipate Anita O'Day, one of the finest vocalists of all times when she wasn't in jail or hooked on heroin. And... Um, that's the truth. She, she's, she's kind of a white Billy Holiday story, without the uh, without the other pre- without the other prejudice, just the prejudice of having to be arrested for narcotics. Um, and of course, another episode of put on the stack of forty fives. And please also listen to our other content and the splendid Bullhogos too, where we present. A award to a character actor of note who had made a film truly greater than the film would ever have been without that particular artist. And you can listen to our uh, program on The Last Detail, where we award Mr. Randy Quaid, a complicated character in every facet, uh, but splendid in The Last Detail, even though his dialogue is limited. He's the perfect foil for this particular film. And on that note, my friend, you are the experience, strength, and hope that has kept me going for well over 116 years now. (laughs) Now, there's somebody out there that's going to go. There's a guy on the radio that says he's 116. Is this the radio? Is this, this the radio? This is the radio of the future. The radio of the future. All right, Bill's gonna. He already saved me once, but I'm gonna save. I'm gonna save myself this time. We'll see you later. Thank you. Bye bye. Stack of forty-five.